the Gospel according to John. John chapter 10, uh, verse 11. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. It is clearly stated in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus, <clears throat> during his public ministry, went from one place to another, always doing good, always doing good. He could not do anything bad. It was absolutely impossible for him to do anything evil. There was a view in the church in the olden days that it was possible, possible for the Lord Jesus to sin in our nature. Where that view originated I don't know, but it is not in harmony with the word. Because he was God-man, a divine person, he even uh, encompassed with the sin sinless frailties of our nature and dwelling in a sinful world, it was absolutely impossible for the Lord Jesus Christ to sin. It was not possible for the first Adam to sin. Had that been so, he would not have sinned. It was possible for the first Adam to sin, and he actually sinned against his maker. Well, the Lord Jesus went about doing good. And we have a, a, a collection of these good things recorded in the Gospels. On this day he had uh, <coughs> exercised his uh, divine power by restoring his eyesight to a man who was born blind. And uh, uh, he was surrounded by his enemies when performing this miracle. He experienced in his soul the enmity of the bottomless pit in the persons of those who were following him and associated with him in his work. And those who serve the Lord in public and have uh, an experience of this can understand what it means in a measure. And no one serves the Lord faithfully in public without having enemies in communities and congregations. They are always in our midst. And what uh, uh, grieves those who are faithful is that the greatest enemies may be are those who profess 
to be sinners saved by grace. The greatest enemies may not be in the other camp. You would expect them to be there and to manifest themselves. But very often in the church, the enemies are in the other camp. Paul could tell you about them. He, had, uh, uh, he was confronted with prominent personalities in the church, occupying offices in the church, who were uh, his greatest enemies. Well, the Lord was connected with them here, and uh, <clears throat> they were offended at what he had done, and also the words that he spoke to themselves. He rebukes these proud Pharisees, uh, and uh, they disliked his rebuke. He shows the contrast between those who are faithful to the people and the unfaithful, the blind leaders of the blind, as he uh, says elsewhere. And to show the difference between the true, the faithful, the steadfast in the faith, and the downright hypocrites, he uh, speaks this parable to them in the first part of this chapter. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Pharisees particularly. And uh, <clears throat> he shows the difference between the hireling as a shepherd and the true shepherd. There is a beautiful description here of both. But he presents himself as the shepherd of the flock and shows these enemies clearly uh, his purpose in coming into this world that he came to shepherd his own sheep. And he, he tells them uh, in this our text I am the good shepherd. They were the bad ones. They were leading the people astray with their doctrine and with uh, some of their practices. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now, friends, in this text, there are three leading ideas, and we shall touch upon them. First, uh, the shepherd. Secondly, the flock. And uh, thirdly, the shepherd rescuing the flock by a particular way. The shepherd, the flock, and the shepherd rescuing the flock. Let us look at uh, <clears throat> the one who says, I am the good shepherd. Who was this particular shepherd who was uh, prepared to speak about himself in public? Not for self-praise, not to feed his pride, by saying that he was the good shepherd. Well, friends, let us all be clear on that. Some of you have a clear knowledge of this, but not all of you. Let us have a clear knowledge as to this great shepherd. 
Well, he is the second person of the glorious Trinity, the middle person in the Trinity between the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was the Son of God uh, in our nature, the God-man, the mediator. And we should realize that he was a shepherd in both natures, in the divine nature and in the human nature. As the second person, he acted in both natures in rescuing the poor sheep that were astray. He was our shepherd not only as man. There is an idea abroad that he was a shepherd just as man just as any other ordinary shepherd, but no friends, as God-man, the mediator, he was the shepherd. And there was no shepherd like him, as we shall see, even from that point of view. And we should also realize that the Lord Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, was selected, appointed from all eternity before the foundation of the world for this great office of shepherd. He was selected, appointed, chosen by, by God himself and the Holy Spirit before the foundation of the world. He was appointed in eternity. And when Christ Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when he came into this planet through that channel, a shepherd was born. He was not made a shepherd when he was born, or after some time after that in his private life. No, no. A shepherd was born. The shepherd selected before the foundation of the world. Let us grasp that doctrine in this age in which we live. And of course Peter tells us in one of his letters that he was foreordained as mediator before the foundation of the world, set apart, anointed for this great service in the Council of Peace by the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was installed in this office before he entered into this world. He was appointed then by the Father to direct his flock according to his own power and wisdom. Uh, uh, and um, we must also realize that he himself willingly, voluntarily undertook to be the shepherd of the lost sheep uh, by a sovereign act of his own will. He volunteered to become their shepherd. He undertook for us. He was uh, willing to undertake for us 
before the foundation of the world. He was not pressed against his will to uh, engage himself in this great work of saving lost sinners. He voluntarily undertook for us. As Jeremiah speaks about him as engaging his heart to draw near to God for this very purpose. And we must also realize that he was the best shepherd that ever walked on this earth. The best shepherd and uh, <clears throat> that uh, he possessed excellent qualifications for this work in every way. All the qualifications that were necessary for performing the work that he undertook. Uh, he had appropriate qualifications and uh, uh, he had sufficient ability to perform the work to bring it to perfection. Nothing could stand in, the, in his way. Nothing was impossible for him as the shepherd. Wherever the sheep were to be found, he would find them. He was able to overcome every obstacle, every opposition from hell and from the earth in performing this great work. And uh, he is called in the scriptures the great shepherd, the chief shepherd of the flock. Oh, well, he was the greatest of all shepherds. The shepherd of shepherds, we may describe him. Those who minister to the people as called by the Lord, sent by him, are under shepherds in the kingdom of Christ. Under shepherds. They are selected by him appointed to the service and uh, 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 he prepares them for the great work. He says in one of, in a, in a verse in this very gospel, as the Father hath sent me, so I send you. Will you try, try to understand these words? How did the Father send him? And there was a similarity between his sending and the sending of these disciples to proclaim the word. How can they preach, Paul says, unless they be sent? These are, are words that will make Sincere servants stagger. How can they preach unless they be sent? And that is one thing we should be sure of in our own minds at the beginning and in the outgoing and coming towards the end of our ministry that we have been actually called sent by the Lord for this great and solemn service. 
Well, these are under shepherd, but he is the shepherd of shepherds. He answers the purpose of his office in every detail. And uh, <clears throat> you must also realize that he was God's shepherd. That, that, that the Father by the Spirit uh, had a peculiar relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it in the prophet Zechariah that he addresses him, saying, Away, go sword against my shepherd. My shepherd. He lays claim to him as his own shepherd, the one that he had chosen, selected, appointed, foreordained uh, in the Council of Peace before the foundation of the world. The one uh, with whom he was engaged, he was to, to play his own part, God the Father, in the scheme of redemption. And the Holy Spirit had to play his part in this great work. And surely it is the greatest of all works when the Holy Trinity, these majestic personalities in glory, uh, play, play, play their parts individually in this great service. Uh, uh, the scheme of redemption is not as simple as some realize. It is not as simple in, in, in any conceivable way as some may maintain. In a sense it is simple, but at the same time infinitely profound. Even the saving of our soul is not simple. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is not simple. No, friends, if you examine it in the light of God's word. Well, he was God's shepherd. And again, <clears throat> let us realize that he was the shepherd of the lost sheep. Doubtless he is shepherding the saved. After they are rescued, he looks after them. But when he was appointed to be a shepherd, when he voluntarily undertook this great work, he became the shepherd of the lost sheep. And friends, surely that is encouraging to you here today who are, who are lost, who have no knowledge of Christ, you attend the means of grace regularly, you listen uh, uh, well perhaps to your pastor preaching the word, and uh, uh, you may be moving about in society here in a way that is uh, very pleasant to the people, to those who know you. You are a decent citizen, but yet lost, far away from Christ, like the poor prodigal in the far country, in a lost estate. Well, as a lost sheep, 
Let me encourage you today by saying again that here we have the shepherd of the lost sheep. And you must realize also that he has a peculiar relationship to those lost sheep. There is a bond of union between the shepherd and uh, those who are lost. And that brings me to the second point in our text, uh, the flock. Because when you think of a shepherd, at once you think of a flock. Every shepherd has a flock belonging to himself or belonging to somebody else if he is serving a master. Well, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus is the shepherd of a peculiar flock. And you must realize that the flock was given to him by the Father as lost sheep before the foundation of the world the foundation of the world was laid. <clears throat> you have it is it in chapter seventeen of this gospel? Thine they were, Christ says, in that great intercessory prayer, chapter seventeen, thine they were and thou givest them to me. When? In eternity, in the council of peace, they were given to the Son in that great plan of redemption, given to him, and given to him in order to be completely saved. And he received them, so to speak, from the hand of the Father, and undertook voluntarily to save the lost. And you will notice that he was the servant of the Father, doubtless, the Father's shepherd in this great plan of, of salvation. Nevertheless, the Lord Jesus was the proprietor of these sheep. They belong to him as well as to the Father. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, he says. Uh, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. They belong to himself. He was, in a sense, he was the, fa the Father's shepherd, the Father's servant. Behold, my servant whom I uphold mine elect, in whom my soul delighted. But he owned the sheep. They were his flock. And because of that, he had a peculiar interest in them, a peculiar relationship uh, to the Lord Jesus. I know mine own sheep. And of course, he was the shepherd, not of lost angels, they were bypassed, bypassed in eternity uh, by the Holy Trinity. He was not the shepherd of lost angels. It was not necessary to rescue the elect angels, those who retained their high place of honor 
when the rest rebel. And he is not the shepherd of all men. When you look at the, the type of shepherding that we have here, he is the proprietor of all men. The whole earth belongs to the Lord and all that it contains as the second person of the Trinity. He owns everything that the Father owns and the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, when you examine the nature of this shepherding, this great work that he undertook, he is not the shepherd of all men, of every individual in the human race. And if you read your Bible carefully, you cannot avoid coming to this conclusion. You may dislike it. Many dislike this doctrine that emerges in God's word. The doctrine of election. It is like a red rug to a wild bull to some people and always was. Nevertheless, we must present this doctrine because it is supported by the word of God. And we may say that he is the shepherd of every one of the human race who will be in paradise after the great day of judgment. Every one of the human race who will be privileged to land in paradise in heaven after the great day of judgment or on the great day of judgment if you prefer to put it that way. He is the shepherd of all who are, where, and will be ordained to eternal life. If you read uh, the, the first chapters of Acts of the Apostles, when a great revival began, you will notice that those who were ordained to eternal life, and that ordination is from everlasting, those who were ordained by the Father through the Son as mediator were added to the church. And there were great numbers, two sermons preached, and eight thousand souls added to the church. And that is true about every revival in the church. Uh, to the end of, of the church's life here, those who were ordained to eternal life will be added to the church. And you will notice this selection happening, brought about in each revival. The Lord bypassing this person, calling that person. They may, they may be sitting in the same pew, under the same dispensation of the gospel. The Lord takes one and leaves the other. I had companions in sin before I was converted and to this day I am amazed that the Lord left them and called me effectually. I meet them in my native isle still unconverted. When I was out there last June I had a talk with one of them, one of the pals I had.
before I was converted. No change, John, I said to him. Oh, no, he said, no change. Well, friends, uh, if that person is not saved, for example, the selection of grace comes in their foreordination, comes to make the distinction in every community. And you may be thinking of some who were your own companions and yet not saved. Oh, friends, we must stand and look at the sovereignty of the divine will in these connections in the church. Well, the elect, let me say again, whether you like it or not, it may offend you, you may find fault with the Trinity for such a scheme as this, but we must emphasize the doctrine of election as we have it in the Old and New Testament in many, many places. And that the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save the lost sheep, the chosen ones who were selected. And it pleased him by the sovereignty of his own will to bypass some. And you who learn the shorter catechism, Dear children, the doctrine of election is there. Uh, uh, master the question and the answer. Digest what that blessed book says. And you will notice if you have Lawson's copy of the Shorter Catechism that underneath the answer you will find references to texts in the Bible to direct you. The Shorter Catechism is based four squarely on God's Word. And perhaps that is one of the reasons why it is so much despised in our day at, at, at many levels, especially in the realm of education. The Shorter Catechism is despised, thrown out, and it will not be given to the children. They present their reasons and arguments, but uh, uh, nevertheless, that is their attitude to that blessed book. Well, <clears throat> they were chosen from all nations, all kinds of people. In the book of Revelation, you will find the multitudes round about the throne drawn to heaven from all kinds of people all nations, all agents, and they will be drawn from all the inhabitants of this world who were ordained to eternal life. It is this particular flock, it is this peculiar people that we have here before us in our text when he says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth this life for the sheep, for the elect, for the chosen ones. And of course, who can number them? He alone numbers the stars. He knows every star and planet out there, and evidently there are millions that we do not see. 
It is amazing the knowledge acquired now by that instrument going up to Saturn and flashing pictures down to this earth. They are telling us that there are 15 moons uh, round about Saturn. 15 moons round about Saturn. They tell us that the cameras reveal that now. And they tell us that there are millions and millions of stars far beyond our vision and even beyond their vision. But uh, friends, he knows the number of his own flock. No one can number those, those who will be saved. He said to Abraham that he would make his seed, his spiritual seed, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. When you stand on the sand again anywhere on holiday, look at the sand. Who can number the grains round about you in a certain area? And like the stars of heaven in number, there you have a description, a graphic one, a description that we cannot understand, that we cannot fathom, that is beyond our capacity of those who will be in heaven at last. Multitudes which could not be numbered but by God himself. Well, friends, he knows his own flock, his sheep, and uh, uh, these are the people, lost, doubtless, from all nations, black and white, rich and poor, uh, lost indeed, but they are the flock of Christ. They are the flock of Christ. Well, friends, do you belong to the flock? How will you know that you are selected from all eternity? Not until you are saved. Not until you are saved. It is then you will know it. You remember that Peter exhorts the believers to make their calling and election sure. The order there is interesting. He does not advise them to begin with election. Make your election sure, no, not first, but make your calling sure, your effectual calling. And if you make sure that you are effectually called, that is an index to eternal election. That evidence is substantial proof that you are elected from all eternity. If you are effectually called, and some of you know what that implies. Well, friends, it is for us, for me and for you, in these pews, to find out whether we are among the sheep saved or not. Now, thirdly and finally, here we have the shepherd rescuing his flock. We stress this, that he was the shepherd of the lost sheep, and that comes to light in this part of our text. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Giveth his life. Well, this is a vast and interesting territory. 
the shepherd who loved them from all eternity, giving his life. In Palestine sometimes a shepherd might risk his life and lose his life looking after the flock. Ferocious beasts might come along, the lion, the leopard, the bear. You remember that David, when he was a very young man, and the shepherd of his father's flock, that he rescued a lamb from the bear and from the lion, lest they would perish. Well, friends, these wild animals would tear them to pieces, but... Uh, <clears throat> Sometimes the shepherd might risk his life rescuing the flock in Palestine. The Lord Jesus not only risked his life, but he gave his life in order to rescue the lost sheep. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I believe the Pharisees were puzzled when they heard this glorious doctrine. The Lord Jesus coming to deliver, to rescue those who were ready to perish. He died then the death of the cross in order to rescue those who were lost. Was this necessary? Absolutely necessary. Some have the opinion, and this is not a modern one, that the Lord could have saved sinners in another way than the way presented in the Gospel. Oh, friends, if the Lord, we are not limiting the divine power, but if God had sinned fit, fit to rescue lost sheep in another way, why send his Son into this world to take our nature and to die in that nature? This was the one and only way that the Holy Trinity in the Council of Peace before the foundation of the world, the only way by which it was possible to rescue the lost sheep. There is just one name under heaven, one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was absolutely necessary that the Son of God in our nature should sacrifice his life, should offer himself on the cross of Calvary, should die there that, the, that his flock might be saved. And you must realize, friends, that the Lord Jesus, not so very long since your minister, stressed this point whether, you, whether it registered with you or not, you must realize that the Lord Jesus uh, not only made salvation possible for sinners. That is true, it is possible for sinners to, 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 to be saved. But more than that, far more than that, he actually saved lost sinners. It is possible for you to go across to Australia or to America, that is possible, the way is open. You may never go there. You may never see Canada or the States or these foreign lands. You may never go there. Nevertheless, it is possible for you to go there. Is that how we must look at salvation? Oh, friends, 
we must look at it in that light, but also in another light, that he actually saved, he purchased our redemption. In our covenant relationship to Christ, he rescued the whole cloth. When he died on the cross of Calvary, was buried and rose again. He rescued them. In Christ, they are already saved. Uh, you remember, children, the, the question in the Catechism, how does the Holy Spirit apply to us? What? What does the Holy Spirit apply to us? The redemption purchased by Christ. Grasp that idea. The redemption purchased by Christ. And the Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. Then he goes to effectual calling. The redemption is purchased, was purchased by this great price, by the blood of our Redeemer. The elect, the flock, were delivered, rescued, uh, by the blood of atonement. We are saved by the blood of God, redeemed by the blood of God. And that redemption, as far as the, 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 the flock is concerned, that redemption is already purchased by the Son of God. All that is necessary for our salvation is that it be applied to us effectually by the Spirit of God. Other sheep I have, he says, listen to him, other sheep I have, not goats, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. The application of redemption. There is a very, very good book on these two aspects of salvation by John Murray. Redemption, accomplished and applied. If you can lay your hand on that book, I recommend it to you. And he clearly and plainly, sometimes Professor Murray is not easy to follow, uh, he used such classical language and his style sometimes, it's not an easy one, but, but this book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, if you can lay your hand on it there, you have the two aspects of salvation, just as I am uh, speaking to you just now. The two aspects of it, Redemption Accomplished first, completed, ready to be applied, and then the Redemption Applied.